put the volume on it and show that, you know, the lighter approach is basically four times the amount of volume. And so they can see it right then and there, rather than me just saying, well, I know what I'm doing and, and they're going to be fine. Actually showing them the data that goes with it goes a long way. Uh, all our kids, the best thing I'd say about our culture is, is they all enjoy to train and, and they're all passionate about it. You know, when we were in high school, we just did what our coaches said because, you know, that's what the heck our coaches said. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. I want every high school student athlete to have the best possible experience during the finite time that they're with us. And that's why I'm on this quest to get as many high quality people into your earbuds as I possibly can so that we can learn from some of the best. If you feel like you've learned a nugget or two or anything that has kind of impacted you in your role in high school athletics, it would be so awesome if you'd scroll down and leave a rating for me, maybe even a review, wherever you're listening to this. And don't forget to click the link in the show notes to become a free member of the club to start getting the weekly newsletter delivered right to your inbox every Wednesday. Thanks for supporting the High School Coaches Club and thanks also to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. They specialize in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for baseball, softball, football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and so much more. (laughs) They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, and dugout cubbies. Netting Professionals continues to provide quality products and services to many recreational high school, college, and professional fields, facility courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them right now by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking Netting Pros out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Huge thanks to Will and the gang at Netting Pros for powering up episode 23 of the High School Coaches Club with Director of Strength and Conditioning and the Assistant Athletic Director for Southside School District in Arkansas, Derek Smith. Coach Smith has a ton to offer strength and conditioning coaches, but also coaches of individual athletic programs who end up also having to be kind of the strength and conditioning director for their own little programs. He offers up some amazing advice on nutrition, how to go about training on game days, small things you can do to make kids want to be in the weight room, and tons of recommendations and resources for where you can find more information. I also put his feet to the fire about an important baseball question, is running long distances actually beneficial for arm health? I'm excited to hear his answer. Let's dive in, episode 23 with Derek Smith. Derek, welcome to the club, my man. Hey, glad to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you're obviously over in Arkansas, Director of Strength and Conditioning for sports at grades 7 through 12, just kind of a obviously a big job, and then an Assistant Athletic Director. So we'll get into to all that as we get into our conversation. But I wanted to start here. You have a huge following on social media. What's your secret? Uh, you know, I think just... I've never like started out wanting to have a following, just started putting out content uh, with regards to strength and conditioning. And uh, I just kind of am genuine and share, you know, when things happen to me, regardless if they're good, bad, funny or whatever. Uh, and and I, I guess people just enjoy seeing that. And then, you know, with regards to the strength and conditioning deal, uh, I just 
share share what we do. You know, nothing we do is a secret, and uh, I don't I don't feel like I'm putting at a, us at a disadvantage by sharing. So I just put a lot of content out there. <laughs> You're not lying. You share so much stuff. I think a lot of people are kind of scared and worried to share things on Twitter because you always have that group of people that'll jump on and you know kind of be a group of naysayers and negative people. But uh, you don't seem to shy away from that. You just share stuff and whatever people want to say is kind of up to them. Um, anyway, so you're the director of strength and conditioning plus the assistant athletic director for Southside School District. We're going to get into all of that here in just a second. But first, can you take me back to your high school days and then on into college? So I uh, grew up in the area we live in now, uh, but I went to Batesville High School and uh, Southside is basically in the same town. It's just across the river, uh, but they were a, a much, much smaller school, you know, 12 years ago when I was in school and since then they've grown uh, to where they're basically the same size as Batesville now. Uh, but I went to Batesville, uh, had some awesome coaches and I want, I wanted to, to do strength and conditioning. I just didn't know that strength and conditioning was a thing. I just assumed you coach your sport and then, you know, that's how it is here for the most part. Your coaches handle your strength and conditioning. Uh, it wasn't until basically I got out of college that I found out, you know, that you can do just strength and conditioning so kind of started there at Batesville uh and then got my first job out of college played a little bit uh played football in college at Arkansas Tech for four years uh played offensive line and and kind of learned a little more about strength and conditioning then but really didn't dive into it till I got my first uh strength and conditioning job can you take us through the process from your time in college to how you ended up where you are right now yeah uh so finished up in college and just got my first coaching job, uh, seventh grade football and head senior high softball at a place called Cedarville. I'd honestly never heard of it before in my entire life, uh, but I just scrolled the jobs page and found one uh, and went after that one and learned learned a lot there. I was only there a year. Uh, I was fortunate. We won a district title in softball, and I knew absolutely nothing about softball. We just had a bunch of freshman girls who had played travel ball for their entire life. Uh, so they made me look good sending on third base, sending them home. Uh, and from there, I went uh, to Blyville, and that's where I got my first kind of strength conditioning job. It was strength conditioning for just football. Uh, you know, and in Arkansas and a lot of a lot of states, like we talked about, you know, you're a coach and you're just assigned strength and conditioning. Uh, but I wanted to. I didn't want to just take that path. I wanted to grow in the field of strength and conditioning. Uh, so I decided to start studying, you know, at that point for my CSCS uh, over the course of a couple of years while I was at Blyville, uh, actually passed it when I left Blyville, but over the course of a couple of years, got that, uh, got my feet wet, kind of my, is it wasn't an internship under anybody in strength and conditioning. It was more of an internship, you know, by being thrown to the fire. Uh, but really kind of grew my passion for it there. And then uh, spent a year at Batesville. To uh, be honest, I made a bad coaching decision when I left Blyville. I took a head coaching job at a place called Augusta, which uh, in Arkansas, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you had all these Delta farm towns who were just awesome in sports and they're thriving areas. Uh, but, you know, but as economies have changed uh, and kind of gotten away from that, these areas are, are kind of dying out. And uh, but I took a job, you know, thinking, man, they used to go to the state championships in the 90s. Uh, and that was not the case. We had six kids on the team. 
uh, and they moved down to eight man. I left pretty quick. I, you know, that's not what I signed up for. Uh, no, no offense against them, but took a job at Batesville for a year. Just I needed to be employed, and then uh, that's when I ended up at Southside. So, can you give us the rundown on Southside High School? Um, where is it? What's it like? Uh, I don't know demographics, size, all that stuff for somebody who knows nothing about Southside. Yeah, so we're uh, we're a four A school in Arkansas. It goes to seven A. Uh, we're one of the bigger four A schools. We may bump up to five here in the next coming years, uh, but we have about uh, kids per class. Basically, in our younger classes, we may have 190 to 200 plus, and then in our like senior class, we may have 170 to 180 kids uh, per class. And uh, so, like I said, we're a middle kind of middle sized school. Uh, demographics wise, we got a wide array of kids. Uh, I mean, you name them, we have it. It's a great place to to learn and, and learn about different kids in that regard. So. Uh, just a great spot to be. We're in northeast Arkansas, kind of right on the foothills of the Ozark Mountains. And so you can go 10 minutes and be in the bottomlands, or you can go 10 minutes uh, and be in the Ozark Mountains. So it's a great spot to be. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I've had a, a few coaches on that are kind of near the Ozarks, and all of them seem to be of the mind that they don't really ever plan on leaving the area. No, uh, and I, I've talked to our kids about this. They, they're kind of asking me every now and then, but uh, I won't leave Southside for another high school job. I'll, I'll guarantee that. So <laughs> I want to go back to <laughs> Cedarville. So you mentioned that you were the head softball coach and you knew nothing about softball. How did that even come about? Well, it was just tied to the job opening. Uh, the assistant football coach before me was the head softball coach. And so that's what they did when they replaced it, just kept the jobs the same. Uh, and so I just slid into that role. And like I said, I was fortunate. We started seven freshmen, uh, but all seven freshmen played travel ball their entire life. And I literally just had to go out there on third base and, and send them home. <laughs> just wave them around. That's awesome. Uh, all right. So let's dive in a little bit. Um, it's been interesting. I've, I've talked to a few strength and conditioning coordinators and directors and coaches, and it's really bizarre kind of because the high school level is so like varied depending on not only what state you're in, but then what district you're in. And then sometimes even within a district, it's different. So kind of give you an example here in Oregon, it, it's usually um, a PE teacher who uh, teaches the weight classes. And um, that's kind of the extent of strength and conditioning. So it's not usually not a separate program. It's usually not somebody who's necessarily like certified or or is maybe an expert in that. So it's very different depending on where you are. Uh, can you dive into at, at Southside School District as the uh, director of strength and conditioning? What does that actually mean? So I work, uh, like we kind of talked about with all sports, seventh through 12th grade, uh, male and female. Um, during the day, we have different athletic periods, which I've talked to other coaches about, you know, from different areas. And Lots of places don't have athletic periods, uh, but during the day we have, right now we have two different athletic periods. Uh, normally we have three, but because of COVID uh, we cut one, uh, but we'll go back to having three here soon. Uh, so we'll, we'll have three different athletic periods and I'm with boys sports right now on Monday, Wednesday, Friday in terms of during those periods. And I'm with girls sports uh, on Tuesday, Thursday during those periods 
and we just run and the periods are broken down by age so there's a seventh grade athletic period there's a junior high athletic period which is eighth and ninth grade and then there's a senior high athletic period which is 10 through 12th grade and i'm just with all the sports on those days uh traditionally in years past i've also coached football so during football season i've been with football but i'm transitioning out of coaching football so now i'll be able to be with everybody you know 12 months year round as to compared to where I'd be gone for, you know, two months during football season. Uh, what I did do when I did that was we used team builder and I'd send the, the workouts out to the coaches and then they just run them based off what I had programmed. It seems to make, uh, I've heard a few different, like, you know, types of strength and conditioning programs that different schools and districts have done. But what you're describing to me sounds kind of ideal like you're because you're not just working with the senior high kids it's it's one thing to get them in as as freshmen or sophomores and then have them for three or four years but then to actually have them exposed to you in seventh grade I think makes a ton of sense Do you guys ever have like the the older kids working with like the junior high kids or the seventh graders in those classes uh, traditionally they haven't just because they've all had their own but when we switched it this year because of covid so now Seventh grade has their own athletic period. And then basically eighth through 12th grade is all together in one athletic period. Uh, at first, I hated it, but uh, I've really kind of grown to like it, especially on the volleyball and girls side of things, because uh, COVID basically canceled those now eighth graders canceled that year. I would have been with them in seventh grade uh, or canceled half of that year. So we missed out a lot of time and, and a lot of instructional time. And so we've kind of blended, you know, our top senior high girls, not, you know, lots of times when you group in the weight room, you group by similar strength or, or class or whatever. Uh, but we've actually grouped our best senior high girls with, you know, those five to eighth grade girls a piece that they really needed to kind of bring up and teach how we do things. Uh, so it's been great in that regard, having them learn from the older girls and see the kind of things they do. And, um, uh, our volleyball coaches do a tremendous job. It's just not, it's good to be around them, good to learn coaching from them because we go to basically all these volleyball matches. And, uh, you know, our girls are like 5'5, five, 5'6, five, five, and uh, they win district titles and, you know, regularly compete with teams that have, you know, girls who are 6'1, six, 6'2. Six, uh, so it's awesome to see them get out there. And, and those younger girls need to learn that, that, this is kind of the weight room and obviously our awesome coaches is kind of where we make up ground, you know, based on genetics that other teams may have over us. Well, yeah, that's one of the biggest, like what I've seen as a coach is like one of the biggest, I think, I don't want to say untapped, but I just think maybe unrealized way to be better at a sport is for, especially for a high school kid, because they can, they can make changes and, and gain so much so quickly in a lot of different areas. It's in the weight room and it's like that's, there's no replacement for what you can do in a weight room. We could work like I coach baseball. We could work all day on, on baseball, but if, if you're not taking care of it in the weight room, then there's, there's only so much we can do. Whereas the weight room, if we, if you're not taking advantage of that, like you're, you're putting yourself at a major disadvantage. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, skill is highly important, uh, you know, without a doubt, but if you got a bunch of skilled kids, you know, that aren't very strong or aren't very resilient or, or always getting nicked up and injured, then, then it doesn't help near as much as if you can keep them on the field longer and keep them on the field a little stronger and faster. 
Yeah, no kidding. I, you mentioned injuries. I noticed the other day when I was kind of looking at your your Twitter and and kind of just trying to learn some more about some of the things that you do. Um, I, I came across one from, it might have been a month or two ago, I don't know. Um, but you have something called an injury protocol wall. And I, I loved it. I was looking at that like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Can you go into what that is? Yeah, so it's something I just started. And, you know, like I admittedly, I haven't done a great job in terms of having the kids who are injured on like a structured program. So I'll always give them a, like, we'll start our training session for senior high. And then if they've traditionally had some type of ailment, I'll tell them to come see me. And I kind of write something up on the board for them just off the fly. Uh, but I wanted something more structured and, and kind of that you could progress and build on. Uh, so basically we built an injury prevention wall and it's three workouts a week. You know, you pick by the training day that you're in there and then, it's basically based off I haven't really gotten to a lot of the rehab side of things. It's more based off what they can do if they have a certain injury. So uh, one common one we have is like a kid can't use one arm for whatever reason. Maybe they, they got a collarbone issue or a shoulder uh, dislocation issue, whatever it may be. And, and traditionally, you know, especially some doctors will tell them just to sit out and not do anything for six weeks. When in all reality, they could still be training their whole other side of their body and still training the lower body. So basically, with the injury prevention wall, we just focus on what we can do uh, based off what injury they may have and, and how we can kind of train around it. And then as far as like rehab stuff, I'm wanting to do a couple little different things, but hadn't really gotten into that uh, just simply because that's really not my field. But I want to you know reach out to some guys and see what are some little things we can do uh, in our part before they go to, you know, see a, a PT. Well, as a, as a baseball coach, um, every, every year there'll be someone who has some sort of injury of some kind, usually almost every year. And that's oftentimes that's the response that they have is that, well, I've, I can't do anything. Like I'm, I'm not supposed to train yeah. and, and it's the expect I'm always like, well, but you know, it's, if it's your ankle, like you still have the whole rest of your body. So you're going to be sitting out all this time doing nothing. So it's not like you're going to stay the same. You're going to get worse and get weaker in all these areas. In addition to obviously the ankle that's injured. And it's like, oh my gosh, no, you can, there's still lots of stuff we can do. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I've been the worst about it. The kid says that and I'm thinking, well, okay, well, I got 50 other kids that are good to go. I got to get them going. And then, you know, honestly, sometimes they have sat there for a week or two. Uh, but I want to make sure we kind of cut that out and that doesn't happen. Yeah. So you have, a, you, you mentioned, you know, having 50 athletes or so you, so you'll have a bunch of people in one space and I think all coaches kind of deal with this too, but on the strength and conditioning side, it's, it's a little bit different, I think, just because you, I don't know. Uh, the idea is that you want to individualize things, right? That's, you know, we want individualized stuff but when you when you have a lot of athletes just like in a classroom if you're teaching a big group of kids of course you want to individualize everything and make everything super specific for each individual person but this maybe not be possible to make it like super individualized for every single athlete so what do you do to you know if you have a kid who plays football and he's you know has this strength in these areas like how do you individualize things when you have so many students to be kind of managing so we traditionally have, we haven't really individualized say based off sport, but rather so many of our kids are multi-sport athletes. Uh, you know, I don't have the exact percentage, but just take our softball team, for example, it's basically made up of 90% multi-sport athletes. Uh, 
And so we kind of take these demands that each sport has basically year round and then train them in a session rather than, okay, well, this is, you know, a football specific workout or this is a volleyball specific workout. Uh, You know, we kind of don't do that because so many of our kids go straight from football to baseball season or go straight from football to track or go straight from volleyball to basketball. And so we just kind of take these different demands, you know, that each sport has and build them into our program. Uh, like with our football guys, you know, traditionally football, you don't do a lot of rotational power, uh, but we do a lot of rotational stuff with football because in two months they'll be in baseball. Uh, same same thing with volleyball and softball. Uh, so just kind of build these different demands in. Uh, what we're going to do this summer, we are going to get a little more specific with football, is like our bigs, so our O-line and D-line, they're going to have kind of a set program, and then our skill the DBs, wide receivers, uh, they're all going to have their own separate program. Uh, a lot of 75% of it will be the same movements and same things. We'll just get a little different with uh, like some power development things, some jumps. Uh, and then, of course, you know, our conditioning will be a little different between groups. So it's a lot of building, building up an athlete that can play more than just one sport or that, or that is, can be successful at more than one sport because you're building a lot of movements that, that work. Yeah, more more than anything, it's more athlete specific than sports specific. Uh, just you know, general qualities that basically all high school athletes need. When someone walks in the weight room and you're in there, what would you say the culture's like at Southside? I'd say uh, you know high energy, uh, but you can tell the one thing I like about it. You know, for the most part, of course, I'm sure there's one or two kids that don't like it. But for the most part, all our kids enjoy training uh, and they like to train. Like I think uh, right now we've just started softball season. They'll play their first game Monday. And I guarantee I'll have six or seven softball girls that want to train five days this week when they're going to play three games. Uh, so I'll, I'll have to sit them down. There's nothing wrong with training, you know, during softball season and training on game day. But we probably don't need to get five training sessions a week during season. Uh, we'd, we'd be, you know, better off with three. So I'll sit them down and be like, Hey ladies, let's, let's get the most out of these three sessions instead of coming in here five days. But, uh, all our kids, the best thing I'd say about our culture is is they all enjoy to train and and they're all passionate about it. You know, I get uh, messages from kids. Hey, I just saw this lift. Is this something we could do? Or what's the purpose of this? Or, you know, they'll send me pictures of like the meal prepping or, or buying groceries, different things like that. Uh, so all our kids are bought in and then truly enjoy the process of, of training. That's so cool. Uh, what, what kind of uh, music would someone hear in there? Uh, yeah, I don't have too many rules basically as long as it's edited. Uh, <laughs> I kind of let them pick that. And then we don't do music like during the warm up or if I'm like teaching about something or going over the lift and we'll cut out the music. But if we're training, uh, and we're in the session and they can listen to whatever the heck they want as long as it don't cuss. <laughs> that's a pretty good rule. I like that. You mentioned training on game day. That's been, that's been one that people kind of go back and forth on. And it, maybe it's kind of an old school mentality of like, Hey, it's game day. We don't train on game days. I've had tons of baseball players that play for me that will like, I'll, you know, talk to their weights coach and, or, or talk to them and they'll talk about how they you know, went really light on game days. Some people don't believe in going at all on a game day. And so when, when you've got a kid in front of you and they, you know, maybe they have this 
notion in their mind of they can't train on a game day. What's your what's that discussion look like with you? I think it needs to happen with the uh, coach first because if you don't have that coach on board of that sport, uh, then they're not going to be on board, and that's not necessarily the kid's fault. You know, that'd be more between the two coaches not being able to come up to an agreement. Uh, but we we honestly we fought that early on here. Uh, you know, our softball girls would not train at all on game day. And I, I per- took it personally at first just because I was like, you know, they're being lazy, this, that, and the other. Well, no, it's their coach was telling them not to. And that's my fault because I hadn't es- established a good relationship with their coach in terms of explaining what we're actually going to do when we train on game day and, and how it's going to benefit them. So I think first you need to have that conversation with the sport coach. Uh, and then you can grow it from there. And, and like I said, all our – girls want to train on game day now it's it's not an issue but you got to definitely talk with that coach first and grow it from there but then also as the strength coach you got to understand the main prior priority that day is their performance in that game so you got to design the training session for them uh around what's going to help them perform at their best and not hold them back in any way uh so we don't necessarily go light uh, on game day i take a more different approach i'd rather get say four heavy singles in, uh, then get three sets of eight at a moderate weight. That's actually going to be more volume uh, and get them more sore, you know? So we'll, we'll bang four sets of one or five sets of one out at a heavier weight. Cause they're going to recover from that a heck of a lot better uh, based off if they did, you know, 3,200 pounds of volume by doing four sets of eight at 60%. So it's so funny because I think back to my time. I graduated, oh my gosh, 2007 from high school. So it wasn't that long ago. But like just seeing the strength and conditioning world and how, how much it's changed and how much research and knowledge has has grown. I think back to my high school days and it was like that on, on game day, we lifted very light weights for very high volume. And that was yeah. mostly what we did. And that was kind of, that was what, that's what we did back then. <laughs> and it's funny seeing how things have changed. Yeah, definitely, and and I have that conversation with a lot of our coaches because they'll be like, you know, we need to go light on game day, and then I'll just get on the board and do one of those volume equations, you know, comparing five heavy singles at, say, 85% versus four sets of eight at 60 to 65%, and then I'd put the volume on it and show that, you know, the lighter approach is basically four times the amount of volume, uh, and so they can see it right then and there rather than me just saying, well, I know what I'm doing and, and they're going to be fine. <laughs> Actually showing them the data that goes with it goes a long way with a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at um, your the, the strength and conditioning program that you've kind of created at Southside and you look at the role that Max's play in it. Uh, you know, we definitely still hit our heavy singles. I, I've definitely changed a lot with in terms of having like max weeks and all that. We don't do that anymore. Uh, just because we'll build heavy singles into a training session and then we can still chase all those other things we want to chase during that session and work on all those different auxiliaries and all those different movements. Uh, And then you can just, when you get to say we got heavy cleans program today, if you say we build up and you're smoking your 90% and it looks good. And if you want to go ahead and beat it by five, you can beat it by five. Uh, and then we'll go back to the program. And then if you want to beat it again by five in three to four weeks, then beat it again by five. Uh, so we don't have those traditional true max days a lot of the time where or max weeks uh, where 
you just grind it out under the bar for an entire session and, and kind of see the number you end up with. We just take a more conservative approach and you beat it a little bit over time. When I was a freshman in high school, or yeah, in high school, um, I was super skinny. So I'd hit a growth spurt in like seventh, eighth grade. So I was probably six one, but I probably weighed like 140, 150. So I was yeah. just this tall, skinny kid. I, and I, I remember getting into a weights class, like second half of freshman year, because the way it was here, you had to take a, a regular PE class first to prove that you could, I don't know, shoot a basketball or something. I don't really know why that's a rule. And I remember uh, getting in the weight room and it was a weight room, you know, the, you'd have students that were in from freshmen to seniors. And so there'd be some dudes in there that are lifting, you know, that are on like a max day early on are lifting like 250, 300 pounds on the bench. And I remember being like, well, I don't even, I, I remember feeling really intimidated. Like I didn't want to get on the bench. I didn't want to want to do a max day. I actually ended up avoiding benching when it was time to bench. I'd kind of make myself hidden and walk around the room and do a lot of auxiliary lifts and things like that because I was embarrassed. Obviously, if I could go back now, I'd just kick myself. Be like, It doesn't matter. Who cares? But do you find yourself having athletes that are that kind of a, maybe you notice them avoiding lifts or I don't know what what's your strategy when you have kids in there who aren't maybe getting after it the way that they should? Yeah, uh, I think one thing you can do, and I kind of spoke on it a little bit about with our volleyball girls, but we've done it with some of our football guys too, is pair up that kid that is kind of, for example, we had a sophomore receiver this year. He's going to be a great player, um, but he's kind of super timid, not very confident. Um, not really sure of himself and he's not anywhere near the same strength as the guy I paired him with, but I paired him with the other guy because this guy is super outgoing. Uh, he's cocky as hell, but he backs it up. So that's, that's what we want. Uh, and puts a good product on the field and he's super outgoing, uh, super sure of himself. And so I kind of paired those two together and I was like, Hey, you're going to bring him up because we need him. He's going to have to help next year. Uh, regardless. So he's going to have to come out of his shell. And while they may be a hundred pounds apart on different lifts, uh, they're building that relationship and he's kind of learning from him, uh, you know, kind of how to grow and, and be a lot more sure of yourself. Like, uh, you know, that, that younger kid, he probably at that point was going home playing Pokemon cards on the weekend or whatever. <laughs> and, and now, now he's going out with this guy who goes out and, and has a good time and, and comes to work and, and a little more outgoing. So it's good for him to kind of break out of his shell uh, and be around that guy. So you can get creative uh, with how you pair in the weight room. Like we said, it doesn't have to be just based off strength. It can be off personalities and it can be off different personalities. You know, if you want to kind of bring a kid out of the, sh out of the shell, put him with someone that's going to do it. Well, th th that's probably really beneficial for both people too. So obviously the kid who's kind of timid and whatnot, who's probably basically describing me when I was a freshman in high school, it took a while for me to feel confident and not care and just get after it and become that outgoing guy. But um, it, it also is probably really beneficial for the guy who is already outgoing, who's already lifting hard because now you're putting in kind of putting that guy in a position of leadership and forcing him to be a leader and, and not allowing other kids to kind of fall by the wayside. And so then, you know, maybe that guy starts seeing other kids who are kind of acting similar to the kid who's timid and he's got this kind of background knowledge that he's gone through of, of pulling kids up like that. So I, where I really wanted to go is, is to look at the role that technology plays too, because uh, a, a lot of schools are starting to get equipped with TVs and iPads and things in the weight room. Um, there's, there's different apps and things that people can use on phones. There's just a whole, uh, not untapped because a lot of people are tapping into it now, but there's a whole role that technology can play 
when you're a strength and conditioner or strength and conditioner, when you're a strength and conditioning coach. Um, so what, what role has tech played for you guys so far? Yeah, it's grown our program tremendously. Uh, a lot of the things we've done, uh, the best thing I've ever done as a strength and conditioning coach technology wise, or really anything, uh, was buying the free lap timer, uh, the, you know, a digital timer that as soon as you run across the finish line, it's pushing your time out to an iPad and the kid knows their time instantly. And then it's highly accurate in terms of it's a lot more accurate than a coach's stopwatch who may or may not have, you know, it could waver two tenths of a second as to where on the free lap, if you're getting one one hundredth of a second faster, you know, on average, then you're getting one one hundredth of a second faster. It's just hard to kind of track that uh, it's in terms of being accurate with a stopwatch. Uh, some different other things we've utilized. Team Builder's been great. And I think what's so great about it is it meets the kids, you know, in a medium that they're already familiar with. So all our kids are, you know, super proficient in technology and Team Builder's just kind of meeting them where they're at there with that. And that's where they actually get their workouts delivered to them. Uh, I'm still kind of old school, so I still write it on the board and go over it with them on the board. Uh, but they log all their info into team builder and so that's been great for me it takes you know what used to take an hour or more and in, in in terms of programming and i can get it done now in 10 to 15 minutes so it saves me a lot of time it's been great for us and then it's great for the kids to track their data and log their data in there and then you know not really technology this ain't really a technology one but uh advancements uh, with, you know, different barbells, different specialty barbells. And so now they're coming out with new squat bars that you can do a lot of different movements on. And uh, technology definitely plays a huge role in our program. Our, our kids love it. And, and it definitely helps create a more uh, competitive environment when you're logging all this info. And then it's right there at your fingertips instead of uh, having to wait, you know, a week for coach to run his report and show you what happened. Well, you know instantly who's in the lead in this particular jump or, or movement that you may be doing. Uh, so, it, you know, creates instant competition as to where logging it on a computer may take a week or two to, you know, update those numbers. Yeah, that immediate feedback serves a couple purposes. Like you mentioned, one, it like instantly the kid can see his numbers. He doesn't have to guess about it. They're going to be accurate. And then two, yeah, the competition part's huge. So we, for baseball, we have a few different data points that we use and they're instantaneous. And so it becomes, you don't, as a coach, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. It just, there's your number. The kid sees it. Everybody else in class can see it. They know where they stand. And then it just creates this internal motivation to crush it next time and get after it because you're seeing, like, you want to compete. Like, kids want to compete. They, they thirst for it. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, with the free lap, you know, traditionally before that, we'd lined up and ran sprints and, you know, maybe... 50% of your kids are running a true max effort sprint as to where on the free lap, they're seeing a time and they're getting a time. And then the next time they're trying to beat it. Uh, so, you know, basically a hundred percent of your kids are now running a max effort sprint. And I know I said uh, team builder free lap and talked about some different uh, specialty bars, but there's different programs out there aside from those companies that are doing the same thing, you know, uh, Train Heroic does kind of the same thing Team Builder does. Rack Performance does. I've just went with Team Builder because it's been the, the best fit for me. And then what I like about the free lap was the ease of setting it up. You know, 
Dasher has a great timing system. Bauer has a great timing system, but they take a little while to set up as to where with the free lap, I set two cones down and 10 seconds later we're running. That's awesome. I might have to look into that. We use for baseball, we use, uh, we take steal times all the time from our guys in practice. And then during, during games, we'll have their times posted in the, in the, you know, in the dugout. And then usually by the end of the first inning, we have the opposing pitchers time to the plate and the catchers time uh, for a throwdown. So we combine them, we put them on the, on the dugout wall too. And so kid can just look on the wall and go, well, my time is, you know, 3.7 uh, from first to second base on a steal time their pitcher and catcher combining to be 3.7 as well. So <laughs> it's a 50-50 shot. Or if they're slower, I, I know I can steal the bag. But then, you like you mentioned, it factors in the other part of if I'm timing my guys with a stopwatch, the time might look a little bit different than if an assistant coach timed them or if I time them today versus me timing them tomorrow because it's, it's inaccurate because it's me pressing a button. I've got to see when they go and start it. Then I've got to kind of guess as they're crossing my imaginary line next to me. So the, the free lap thing to me, like as a baseball coach, I would never would have crossed my mind to get something like that. But as you're talking about, it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. Oh, it's great. You can do curved runs with them, uh, you know, like rounding a bag. Wow. Uh, it, it, it's awesome. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, and one thing you can do, like one thing we've done for some of the technology stuff we've bought is to get all the different programs to invest in it because all the different programs are going to use it. Uh, so it's not just coming out of one sports budget. Uh, it's coming out of everybody's budget and then everybody, you know, gets to use it. And you can usually get a lot more things that way, kind of pulling together with a group uh, than you can buying it, you know, with an individual sport. And one thing you just talked about that I, that I like, uh, there's this big debate in, in the strength and conditioning field about, you know, what should our role be on game day? So you hear like, college football strength and conditioning coaches complaining about having to be the get back man <laughs> yeah, that's right. or, or that, but then they don't really have an answer for, you know, what they should be doing on game day. Exactly. But I think what you just said with doing the steel times and data and things like that, that's kind of like I, a lot of people may do that. I don't know. It's the first I've heard of it. Kind of a great idea and kind of revolutionary. I think that'd be an awesome role, you know, for the strength coach on game day, game day to kind of get those data to drive decisions by the head coach. So I'm glad you said that. I'm definitely going to look into that. Yeah, I think any, I think that's one of the untapped markets, not markets, but untapped parts of, I think, high school sports is finding ways to collect in-game data to then inform decisions later in that game. And it can be simple stuff like steal times or whatnot. But I think there's there's probably a lot of that in every sport that's just – I don't know what it looks like in every sport, but I, I bet there's data in every sport that we could be collecting during a game to actually affect outcomes in that same game later on. Maybe not to the same level that analytics and like a professional football team or, or a baseball team might have, but certainly little things that can make a huge difference, especially in high school. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you said that. And I'm definitely going to be stealing that one for sure. I got a baseball question for you. This will be my only one because I know people listening aren't uh, – most of them probably aren't even baseball coaches. But um, I want to ask this because it's a big one that's been around for a long time. And it's the debate around pitchers or I guess anyone who throws, but it's mostly pitchers who end up having to be the ones that run. Between pitching and conditioning, arm health and and running, is there a relationship between those in your eyes and from the research you've seen? You know, I think uh, – this is just my personal opinion, you know, with anything, you can go find studies and data to back it up, you know, whatever your your stance on it is. But I think, say, a pitcher who threw a big game, they're going to 
get a lot more out of doing some shoulder range of motion work or uh, some different mobility work just based on getting blood flowing in a low impact setting than they are going to be going out and running a mile or going out and running five sets of poles, whatever it may be. They're going to be better doing a lot of direct arm movement work, things like that kind of in the weight room or, or with some bands on the field than they are going to be, you know, running to, to get that cleared out. Uh, Bobby Stroop talks a lot about it. He's Patrick Mahomes, personal trainer, and then uh, runs APEC performance. And he talks about, he calls it cleaning the gun. And there's basically a lot of these different arm movements and things he does with Patrick Mahomes, you know, the day after a game or, or after a big game to kind of get his body reset. And, and none of it's, you know, going out and running two miles. It's more movements and mobility work, you know, with the arm. I just had a memory pop back up from when I was in college. I had great college coaches. They were awesome. But um, I remember I, I pitched and played infield. And on after I had thrown a bullpen or pitched, the, the next day it was running day. So it usually be a group of like five or six of us. And we'd basically be sent out to go wherever you want and come back in like 30 minutes. And I remember yeah. one time, a lot of us, we were like running. We, we were kind of starting to get to the point of like being able to find our own information online at that point. Um, like kids nowadays can find pretty much anything they, they look for on the internet. So they can look and find studies for themselves too. But anyway, so we were kind of getting to the point of like, we don't really think this actually helps us. And I remember, so one day we all jogged, we let, you know, left the field, went for a jog out in the neighborhood and just went to one of the seniors houses, went in there and hung out for about 20 minutes. And then we jogged back to the school and they had a sauna in the, in the kind of basement by the locker room. We sat in the sauna for five minutes so that we were just covered in sweat in our uniforms. Then we jogged back into the gym. And we're like, yeah, we're back. <laughs> Kids are innovative, man. And uh, like you said, we're getting to the point now where they can find their own information and, and they're kind of debunking a lot of these theories that, you know, when we were in high school, we just did what our coaches said because, you know, that's what the heck our coaches said. Or we were just influenced by, you know, basically – our parents, our coaches, and, and, you know, maybe some some church members or, or people we had a family relationship, whatever it may be, as to where now kids are influenced by hundreds of thousands of people, you know, at their fingertips that they can go get information from or they can go kind of learn from. So uh, I think now more than ever, kids are starting to do that. And now more than ever, coaches are starting to kind of challenge the traditional status quo of the way things have been done because, we're finding out now, like you said, that there there may be better ways to go about things. That's both. It's both really awesome for kids, but then it's also really scary because there are tons of people online that share some things and post some things that maybe aren't grounded in any like actual yeah. research or science. And so it's it is scary. At the same time, it is really cool because kids now can kind of take control of their own their own future and. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, I suppose. Yeah, I've noticed the double-edged sword side of it more uh, in nutrition than anything, just simply because, okay, well, you take a, a kid and their parent may have been, say, 100 pounds overweight, and so they did keto and, and had awesome results with regards to losing weight. So they think, oh, man, this is great. This is healthy. Our entire house needs to be keto. Uh, well, you know, that may not be the best thing for an athlete who's playing a weekend tournament or, or playing three games a week, you know? Uh, so I think we see a lot of the misinformation kind of passed down from parents to not on purpose, just they think they're doing the thing that's in best interest for their kid 
But in all reality, it may not be the best thing for them, although it was great for them as an individual. Well, let's pop into nutrition then since you brought it up. I think that's a really important part because we've all been around high school kids and we see if we hang around them for lunch, especially if they're able to leave campus to go get lunch somewhere. And um, I don't know, it seems like nutrition can be a really difficult piece or component for high school kids because uh, there's just so much access to bad food and bad advice and whatnot. So when you're, when you're talking with kids about nutrition, what are your kind of main points that you go over? I, one of the main points I try and make is this doesn't have to be something where you eat this exact meal at this exact time at this amount of days. I try and give them rather different. I, we pair their food groupings and then kind of show them different things they can do within those groupings that aren't necessarily that hard and don't take that much amount of time uh, that they can do to kind of grow nutritionally. And also, you know, we sit them down and talk with them and kids all, all the time, uh, especially the ones wanting to go play in college, see these college athletes that their bodies have changed tremendously and in, in, in all the changes they've made and the strength they've gained and how fast they run. But the biggest difference to me in high school and college is, especially at these power five programs, they literally got someone following them around, making them eat all day long and making them make these good decisions as where high school kids have to take it under their own guidance uh, and make their decisions based off of that. And so we talk with them, you know, the difference isn't the, college training program the difference is the college nutrition program uh, so if you want to make you know bigger changes based off what we're doing then you need to make nutrition a priority and some things we've done we just started it before covid and it kind of ruined it was a, a couple sundays a week or a couple sundays a month i'd meet our kids at the, the store uh, tell them to bring you know x amount of money and we'd actually meal prep for the week based off what what was available at the store and we'd meal prep that's so groups. cool uh, and we we it started to get you know quite a few kids coming, uh, and we're going to get back to that you know as these restrictions ease. Uh, I don't want to risk like for example, uh, I know if we did it right now, I'd have four softball girls there in a second uh, meet me at the store. But also then that's you know risking them being exposed to each other, and then they may have to miss a softball game, and then the softball coach is going to be pissed at me for doing a meal prep thing uh, during season. But that's been one of the great ways because you can give them a piece of paper all day long and you can talk to them about it all day long, but then actually going with them and helping them make those decisions goes a long way. And then also, like we said, uh, share, you know, different people on social media with them that they can learn from with regards to nutrition. Uh, so I've shared, you know, a couple people that put out, you know, right, correct content, not biased. They're, you know, being paid to say this content uh with our kids and they can kind of learn from them as well as learn from you because sometimes they want to learn from someone different than you know who they see every single day yeah that's true what are some of those resources that you send kids to because i think that would be really helpful for other coaches especially a lot of us who end up being kind of our own strength and conditioning directors of our own small little programs yeah you know different resources uh especially with nutrition wise i'm not sure i'm gonna say her name right but uh, Emily Bogato on Twitter always shares some great information with regards to nutrition uh, training. And so she does a great job with that. She's who I send a lot of our girls to, you know, just to kind of, I'll say, go watch her stories and, you know, kind of see the different meals she's posting and things like that. So she's a good one. Uh, as far as resources for strength and conditioning, uh, you know, just 
follow different people in the field and, and they're putting out content that you can learn from like Mike Boyle uh, always posts a lot of good content. You can take a lot from it. Uh, Alan Bishop, Houston's basketball strength coach posts a lot of great content. You can take some from it. Uh, Farmington strength. They're out of Minnesota, a high school program. They post a lot of good content. Uh, Nick DeMarco at Elon has some awesome like movement and running content. And one of the best pages I've ran across uh, is Coach Mike Whiteman at Hound Speed and Strength. If you're a strength coach of any kind, and especially if you're one, you know, like a lot of us are, uh, we've spent 90% of our time in the weight room and 10% of our time on the field doing actual movements and, and that type of stuff. I would get on his page and reach out to him. Uh, because he does a better job with movement than any strength coach I've seen, you know, at any level. So that'd be a great, great resource for you. Well, that's really smart too, because at some point being able to move weights heavily or quickly is great, but you have to be able to perform the actual movements in the sport that you're playing. Because if you're not, you know, if you're getting stronger, that's great. But if it's not, you know, actually manifesting in better game results, then what's the point, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's this big debate about what role does the strength coach have? You know, do they affect game performance, this, that, and the other? And, and I think it's important, you know, in my opinion, they do affect game performance, uh, but we got to kind of find a way to judge the effectiveness of how we do our jobs. Yes, game performance is important, but also a lot of times as a strength coach, you may be working with someone. I'm not in this scenario, but there are people out there. Uh, you may be working with someone who doesn't do a great job of actually coaching their sport, uh, so you don't want to be judged for that either. But, you know, there's this fine line of, of kind of finding the role the strength coach has. What's the time commitment like as a strength and conditioning director? Uh, at the high school level, you know, it's similar to what other coaches may have. You know, I have a little more because I do assistant AD uh, and things like that. But basically, I, typical day for me, uh, we have a – so our boys lift Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Our girls lift Tuesday, Thursday. But then Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the morning at 6, I had so many girls wanting to come in and get extra uh, that we just started some morning sessions. And so now they can come in at 6 a.m. on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So typical day, uh, I get there at 5.15, set up, uh, drink my coffee, get ready to roll for the 6 a.m. session, do the 6 a.m. session, uh, then do a little reading, whatever. Uh, I have an advisory class until 8.30, and then I go to PE for an hour and 20 minutes. Then I go to another training session. I either have off after that if it's an even day till our next training session at 1, or I have one more PE class if it's an odd day. And then after school, uh, I'll either run another training session or I'm doing like my AD duties, uh, going to different games, things like that, uh, making my rounds on the facilities, making sure everything's good and ready to go. Wasn't it pretty recent that you became the assistant AD? Yeah. Uh, well, officially, they couldn't do it until January, but I'd been doing everything uh, basically since August for that. And, uh, you know, honestly, I do a lot of the things that our AD doesn't want to do at this point. Uh, <laughs> and so he makes me do all the things he doesn't want to do, but it's been great. Uh, he's He's done a great job and I get to learn a lot from him and I'll eventually kind of grow into that uh, athletic director role once he hangs it up. Being an athletic director, you, a lot of times they're at school 
<laughs> all day, every day, because the sports seasons never stop. You know, if you coach football only or even just two sports, you're still kind of getting a third season. Maybe not totally off, but you're not. There's no games necessarily, so the time commitment's somewhat smaller. But man, as an athletic director, you're just it's it's nonstop. It is, it is. But uh, I think one of the things that kind of helped me grow into that role and why I was fortunate to be able to get it was going to bat for all those different sports uh, and kind of having all those different sports best interest in mind. And it's honestly a a good transition for a strength and conditioning coach because you're so vested in all the different sports. So it's a natural kind of fit. Uh, I think you'll see a lot more of it as high schools add more strength and conditioning coaches. Yeah, that's my hope is that uh, Oregon kind of starts to get on board with that same kind of idea of having an actual director of strength and conditioning and nothing against any of the people who are currently teaching weights classes and stuff in our state. But it just makes a lot of sense to have somebody who maybe has a little bit more freedom throughout the dates and a little more direction to be really focused on like you are the strength and conditioning director for all of our sports. Like it just it makes too much sense to me. Yeah, like I said, it's a good fit. And then it helps all your sports programs grow you know, kind of on the same page instead of one program getting all the attention uh, and everybody else being kind of put on the back burner. Kind of my last question for you is, is what maybe as an assistant athletic director or as a strength and conditioning director, what's something that coaches might not either realize that you do or maybe not appreciate that you do? Uh, That's a good question. I, I think they don't understand the, sometimes the, all the data you get together and like kind of how long that takes to put together. Uh, Sometimes they just kind of dismiss it and don't really want to look at it. Uh, I've had that happen before. It doesn't happen near as much now. And then I don't think sometimes they understand, like sometimes you may have pissed people off uh, to put their sport uh, or to make their sport equal. You may have pissed someone off uh, who felt they were getting short-sighted or whatever it may be. But uh that kind of comes with the admin role of it, uh, going to bat for all your sports. And I think back to, you know, one thing here, basically, uh, and sure, it may have irritated them at first, but now everybody's on board, so I can kind of speak on it. Uh, we have a primary weight room, like a big, nice weight room, has all the equipment in the world. Uh, but traditionally for years before I was hired, uh, that was football's weight room, and nobody else used it, and it was football only. Uh and then basketball, volleyball, and everybody else had this shed weight room that has, you know, it, it has enough equipment to train and do some things, but it's not near the quality that the, you know, the field house weight room was. And so at first, you know, our, our football coaches were kind of hesitant about bringing other sports in or, or irritated by bringing other sports into their weight room. Uh, but over the years that we've got rid of that and now pretty much everybody's on board with all sports using it. We still use the other small weight room sometimes just logistically we have to. Uh, but I've, that's kind of one of the things they they may not notice you've done you know, to, for them. It reminds me of as a coach, um, oftentimes if, if a parent has a playing time concern or something like that, it's a lot of it is as a coach, you're you're in charge of making sure all the, the the whole team is taken care of. Whereas as a parent, you're usually more focused on your kid. And it's kind of a similar thing, I guess, for an AD or even as a director of strength and conditioning, where it's a coach comes to you. Of course, 
they're concerned about their program, but then for you, it's, it's, you're also concerned about the whole school, all the kids. And so kind of towing that line is, is really similar to what individual coaches have to do with parents sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And then one thing that's been great for us and getting everybody in that one right weight room is now in, and this is how I spun it to football is okay. So traditionally, if we've wanted something, we've had to buy it. Football had to buy it. Uh, and then everybody else got to use it. So I could kind of understand them being a little irritated about it. Uh, but now what we've done is basically all sports kind of donate to our general strength and conditioning fund. And then we pull and buy equipment out of that fund that benefits everybody. And so that's great. Like, for example, uh, our basketball gym is going to need new bars here soon. And, okay, well, traditionally, years past, they'd have had to spend it all out of the basketball budget to get new bars as to where now they've donated their small piece to the pie, and then we can buy new bars out of that, that entire funding. So that's been good, you know, to get people on board with it. It just makes too much sense. <laughs> just what what you're doing at Southside just makes so much sense, and I feel like it should be a model for what – what school districts should do kind of across the country because it just, it all lines up. It makes sense. It's the best thing for all the kids involved, but at the same time, while it's the best for all the kids, it also ends up being the best for your own individual program for some of the reasons you just mentioned. So Derek, I've loved having you on before I, before I let you go, I just wanted to hand the mic over to you one more time and just let you do whatever you want with it. If there's any parting thoughts or advice or anything that maybe we missed that you wanted to cover and just kind of hand the mic over to you. You know, advice, if there's a young strength and conditioning coach out there, uh, you know, it's kind of cliche, but always seek to learn, but seek to learn from people you disagree with more than just backing up your ideas of learning from people you completely agree with. Uh, I learn a lot more when I disagree with someone and actually look into their methods and, and their ideas and thoughts uh, than I do when just backing up my ideas with, you know, what I'm already uh, comfortable with and what I already know. So that'd be my biggest advice. And then, you know, it's all getting your kids to buy in. I get a lot of questions. How do you get your kids so bought in? How do you get your program so bought in? Uh, and, and it's about building relationships with them and making training somewhere they want to be. So not running it like a, you're, you're here, you ain't tough enough, this, that, and the other. I, I take the flip side of that, and I'm going to build our kids up and tell them, you're here, you're training, you're tough as hell for being here and training. Uh, and so just kind of build relationships with your kids and let them know you care uh, and be, you know, genuine in how you build those relationships and you'll get a lot of buy-in. Everything you're saying, I'm sitting here like nodding my head. So maybe that's an indication that I need to go find someone else that I maybe don't line up so well with in terms of philosophy and stuff. <laughs> so that I can shake my head a little bit more or something like that based on your advice. But it's so good. I loved it. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciated having you. Thanks for having me. What a dude. I regret not asking him his thoughts on tank tops in the weight room, though, which is something that kind of caught on fire on Twitter just a few days after we recorded the episode. So I'll have to save that question for the next time Coach Smith joins the show. Uh, huge thanks to Derek for giving up his time to help all of us get just a little bit better at helping our student athletes. And thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for tuning in. As you prepare to move on with your day, just a few things left for me. Uh, if you haven't joined the club as a free member yet, do it. Uh, you know the drill. It takes 90 seconds. Uh, you join this 
national network of coaches, trainers, uh, parents, players, and more. Get the weekly newsletter every Wednesday. Get entered in the sweepstakes every once in a while. Uh, You can find that link down in the show notes. Don't forget to leave a rating, maybe even a review if you feel so inclined. Uh, If you have any recommendations, uh, you girls and guys have been really great at giving me some. Uh, Be sure to reach out to me, even if the recommendation is yourself, even if you think you'd be a good guest. Um, Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mr. Max Price, and reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. That's it from me. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for being involved in high school sports, for striving to make yourself just a tiny bit better each and every day so that your student athletes get the best experience possible during their time with you. And of course, thanks for being part of the club. As Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>